Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I am your host, Kim Smith, and we are on episode 118, our second in our new series on More Than Conquerors. Today we're going to be talking about the Lord of Heaven's Armies. If you haven't ever haven't had a chance to listen to last week, it would be a good idea to just stop now and go back and listen to last week where we did the introduction to the, this More Than Conquerors um, series based primarily on 1 Samuel 17, the very famous story usually called David versus Goliath, even though those were not really the main characters involved in this story. And we're going to talk about that as we go along. So how has your week gone so far? You know, as we broadcast, as we do this, I record on different days sometimes, and I know that you may listen to this. Some of you may be consistent, and you listen to it on Monday when it comes out, and others may hear it months later or even years later. But I do. I, I just really wish I could find out just how your week has gone. What giants have you encountered? And how have those challenges gone? Last week we read through the text of 1 Samuel 17, and I'm going to read through it again this week, but I want you to have your glasses on, so to speak. I want you to be looking for certain things. When I taught this series a few years ago, oh, right at five years ago now, which just blows my mind, I picked out some songs that were relative, um, relative, relevant uh, to each of the weeks, and I made them into a YouTube playlist. I haven't done that so far this time, but I may, because I really, I am so moved by music. It has such a powerful hold on me and can help me with my focus. If I were to pick out a song that would be our theme song for this week. It would be Chris Tomlin's Whom Shall I Fear, also known as God of Angel Armies. You should be seeing a theme coming here. In that song, the, um, the chorus is, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of Angel Armies is always by my side. How would your life be different if you truly focused on the Lord of Heaven's armies? If you set out each day to make him the focus of your life. Next week, we're going to begin to talk about giants. We're going to talk about the importance of recognizing giants but also the much greater importance of focusing on the Lord of Heaven's armies. We're going to have giants in our path. That is just part of living. But we don't have to live our lives focused on the giants and comparing ourselves to their power. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, 
You have the power of the living God, the Lord of heaven's armies, residing within you. There is nothing, there is no giant that can stand against the living God. So in 1 Samuel 17, you might want to open up your Bibles, open up your Bible app, whatever you read. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I, th I think my greatest giant today is being tongue-tied. But if you want to pull it up, I'm le reading from the New Living Translation, but whichever translation it is, is going to, on the, our main focus, it would be very interested, re interesting for you to look at how Jehovah Sabaoth is translated in your particular translation. I'll explain more about that when we get to verses 45 through 47. So we're in 1 Samuel 17, and here is what I want you to look at. I want you to be looking for four particular groupings of people. I want you to look at King Saul and the Israelite army. What was their focus? Who or what was their focus? What, when they, in this narrative, who are their eyes set on? Eliab, which is David's oldest brother. Where's his focus? Goliath, the giant. Where is his focus? And David, where is his focus? So follow along with me here. 1 Samuel 17, looking for where's the focus. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped near Sogo, Soko in Judah and Azekah at Ephesdemim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy, as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shooted, shooted, ah, and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When it, Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Where is the focus of Saul and the Israelite army? It's on the giant, isn't it? They're looking across and they're seeing this nine foot tall thereabout man, warrior, decked out in all of his armor, and they're comparing their strength to his strength, and they're not going anywhere. Like, they're just staring because they are so, so focused on 
the size of the giant, the meanness of the giant, the just presence of the giant. How about you? In your life, are you like Saul and the Israelites? Are you so focused on whatever giant that is in front of you that you are just paralyzed with fear? Because you're going to see that the Israelites, including King Saul, who stood ahead above normal men, I mean, he wasn't a little guy himself, but they stared at the giant and stared so much that they were immobilized. So verse 12, now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, remember we mentioned him earlier, Abinadab and Shimei had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and then ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along. Bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the, from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men ask? He comes out every day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. So there's some really good money on the line. There's a wife of the king, which would mean that you were going to be up in the top part of the government. But all that the Israelite army members, as well as Saul, could see was the size of the giant. They were so fixated on the size of the giant, the background of the giant, because he had been a warrior since his youth, that nobody would even step foot to fight him. David asked the soldier standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, Yes, that is the reward for killing him. So here's where I lie up. So remember the second one I ask you to look at is to think, where is Eliab's focus? So he's just like the Israelite army, and at least part of his focus is on the giant, no doubt. And he's not moving a muscle and going out into battle. 
But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Where is Eliab's focus? Well, his focus is on the giant, but where else is his focus? He's focused on the perception of his brother. He is digging at him. We don't know their prior relationship, but we do know that David has already been anointed in front of his brothers to be the next king of Israel. Do you think we've got maybe some jealousy going on here? Eliab is very focused on little brother. Is it possible that you are so focused, maybe not on a large giant, but on someone in your life that this is hindering you from becoming all God created you to be? That's where Eliab was. Verse 29, what have I done now? David replied, I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing, received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go find him. Well, you can kind of guess what Saul's reply is going to be. I mean, David's just a young man. I mean, he's probably a young teenager. He's definitely not nine feet tall, and he has never been in a human battle. Now, we're going to find out that David has been in other types of battles, but Saul's going to look at him and go, yeah, right. Saul says, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and you've been a man. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. So where's David's focus? Well, we're going to look at that a little bit here and a little bit further down. His focus primarily is on the Lord of Heaven's armies, which is absolutely where it needs to be. It's also on what the Lord of Heaven's armies has already done for him. So listen to this. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So what all do we see here? We see David, well, he's already walked with the Lord of Heaven's armies. I mean, this is not his first rodeo, so to speak. Now, it's his first in front of a large group of people and possibly even in front of his brothers. But he's like, I've already dealt with enemies and the Lord has provided a way for me to win against lions and bears. I don't know about you, but like the thoughts of that, mm -mm -mm. I could easily get focused on lions and bears and not move forward. But David, he's encountered this even as a young lad and he's like, God's brought me through. And he's also focused. So he's not only focused on what the Lord of Heaven's armies has allowed him to do already, equipped him to do, but 
He's also focused on the fact that this giant is bad-mouthing the Lord of Heaven's armies. He says he's defied the armies of the living God. In other words, David, even though he's young, he realizes that the people of Israel represent God. At that point in history, the Israelite nation were so intertwined in the thought process of the other nations with the God of Israel. And if they do not stand up, this reflects badly on God. So David is very focused on what the Lord of Heaven's armies has done for him already, how the fact that no one is standing up in Israel and Goliath is able to just badmouth them and their God. He's focused on the reputation of the Israelites and of God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He is very focused on the Lord of Heaven's armies, what the Lord of Heaven's armies has done for him already, how this reflects on the Lord of Heaven's armies if somebody doesn't stand up to this pagan giant, and just on the Lord of Heaven's armies and what he can continue to do. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Uh, do you think that he said that with all gusto? Yeah, I doubt that. I think he's looking at this kid going, you are about to get whooped, but oh well, at least you're willing to get out there. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. One thing we do not see David focused on is the earthly protection. He put on Saul's normal helmet and his coat of mail, in other words, his armor, and this wasn't going to work. Sometimes we have to shed what the world gives us as protection in order to do what God has called us to do. David is focused on the Lord of Heaven's armies as his armor. And he discards what is not going to work for him. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with the shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his armor bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods, little g-gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. But David did not back down. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Let's go back to the Goliath part. So who is Goliath focused on? Goliath's not worried about David. Goliath is all focused on. His focus is totally on what he has already been able to accomplish and what he has in mind that he will be able to do this time again. He's, I'm going to wipe it, wipe this area up with you. Like he is so focused on what he believes are his own 
characteristics, his own talents and abilities that he's not a, the least worried about David, which is, well, part of his downfall. So then back to David, David continues to be focused on one Thing, and that is the Lord of heaven's armies and his glory. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. We all know how this story ends. <laughs> I mean, it's a fact of life that David reaches down, grabs his stone, slings it, finds the one chink in the armor, and Goliath goes down. But it's verses 45 through 47 that I want us to focus on, especially for this week. And then each and every week after this, we are going to be pointing back. So next week, we'll talk about the giants that we encounter. And then for the next few weeks after that, we are going to take each of those giants and we're going to put it in comparison to the Lord of Heaven's armies. And as you will see, each and every week, there are none that can stand. There is not anything in this world that does not fall to the Lord of Heaven's armies. Back to 45 through 47, listen to David and how, how can you incorporate this same attitude into your life today? David replied to the Philistine, how will you reply to your own giants? The giants in your life, whether it be physical giants, whether it be emotional ones, whether it might even be spiritual ones. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Do you truly come to each and every battle, to each and every giant that you encounter? Do you come to them in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies? Or are you trying to come on your own behalf? Are you trying to do what others have told you to do and carry the armor around, which is not doing you any good. There's nothing wrong with using the brain that God gave you. There is definitely nothing wrong with listening to sound advice. But when it's all said and done, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he can not only give you the greatest counsel possible because God is omniscient. He knows everything. But he is omnipotent. He also has all power within him. 
David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Do you come with that kind of strong confidence in God? And I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. So I'm not sure where it's translation you have been reading from. If you're reading from the New Living Translation, then you will see Jehovah Sabaoth translated as the Lord of Heaven's armies in verse 45. If you are reading from another translation, so let me pull up. Usually it pulls up first the ESV as my other translation to look at. So let's go down to verse 45. In the ESV, the English Standard Version, it is the Jehovah Sabaoth is translated the Lord of Hosts. Let's try another one. And we're going to talk about very briefly just the the phrase, the name for God, Jehovah Sabaoth, and why that is so very important. So this is the Christian Standard Bible, the Lord of Armies, which all of these are correct translations. There's none of them that are wrong. And then we will stop with the NIV being the Lord Almighty. So, I have a link down in the show notes to the Blue Letter Bible. It's a uh, blog, and the name of this particular article is The Names of God, Jehovah Sabaoth. So, Jehovah Sabaoth, there are many names for God. So, for those of us who do not know the original languages, Hebrew, Greek, we do not know that. Um, we lose something. It, it's There is no perfect translation of God's word. The original languages, knowing the original language, would by far be the best, but most of us are not trained in those original languages, so we have to trust the people who are and do our due diligence. Well, there are many names for God throughout Scripture. Uh, you can go online and go through entire Bible studies on the names of God. This right here just happens to be one of the posts, but there are many other names of God that are referred to in this. Jehovah Jireh being one, the God who provides. One of my absolute favorite titles for God. But Jehovah Sabaoth is something that I personally grabbed hold of a few years ago Many of you have heard of the one word challenge that many of us do each year where we pick a word that we are going to focus on for that particular year. And one year, my one word was two put together and it was Jehovah Sabaoth. That was my word because I wanted more than anything in this world for that year for me to focus on the fact that I serve the Lord of Heaven's armies. Jehovah Sabaoth translated, um, Jehovah is translated the existing one or Lord. 
And then you have Sabaoth, uh, which can be armies, which can be host. Um, so that's why you saw the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord of heaven's armies, um, all of those referring to the fact that God is the commander of all armies, including the angelic ones. The title, whether combined with Jehovah or Elohim, for Sabaoth shows up more than 285 times in the Bible. But the very first time is not until the beginning of 1 Samuel. And I didn't think to point it out at that time. Never crossed my mind. But, you know, a few months ago, we were started our series going through the book of 1 Samuel. And the very first reference to God as the Lord of Heaven's armies is in 1 Samuel 1.11. And it is when Hannah, Samuel's mom, when Hannah is begging God for a son. And in 1 Samuel 1.11, she refers to God for the first time in our scriptures as the Lord of Heaven's army. It says, and she made this vow, O Lord of Heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son. And the story goes on. But after that point in scripture, especially in the books of Jeremiah and Isaiah, the two major prophets, you are going to see the title for God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, referred to many, many times. Uh, one that I put together in the graphic earlier is, Who is this King of Glory? The Lord of Heaven's armies. He is the King of Glory. That's Psalm 2410. I just pulled up a bunch of the different references to the Lord of Heaven's armies. And I'm grinning just because I get excited. I get excited that I serve the Lord of Heaven's armies. That there is no giant in heaven or on earth that can stand against the almighty all-powerful God of the universe. In 2 Kings 6, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, God is not referred to by this title, but it is the best, in my opinion, probably the best visual picture to kind of understand what it looks like to see the Lord of Heaven's armies with His armies on display. I'm not going to ruin the story for you because it is one of my favorite stories and we will cover it on the podcast when we get to Elisha. But in this particular situation, the short of it is, you have Elisha the prophet. And Elisha the prophet has been prophesying against the king of Aram. And every time the king of Aram wants to go to war against Israel, it's as if his, he's got a traitor inside of his ranks. And they tell him, no, it's, it's not. You don't have a traitor. It's the fact that Elisha, the prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your, your bedroom. Well, you can imagine what the king of Aram thinks about that. He is furious. 
And so he finds out where Elisha is supposed to be staying. And he sends his troops. And of course, they are to absolutely annihilate Elisha. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city where Elisha was staying. When the servant of the man of God, in other words, Elisha's servant, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. We can't blame him. I mean, he wakes up and you can just see him rubbing his eyes and he looks and they are fully surrounded by human army and chariots and horses. Like, it's not good. And he calls out to Elisha. But Elisha has such a keen focus. Number one, he has such the relationship with God. Number two, he has such the keen focus on the Lord of Heaven's armies and what God is doing and just how in control that God is. If we were all to be like Elisha, how would it change how we approach the giants in our life? Verse 16 of 2 Kings 6. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. There are more on our side than on theirs. Now you have to think that at that moment the servant is thinking, Oh, Elisha has lost it. Like, I'm looking and there's definitely not more of us than there are of them. Like, we are totally surrounded. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. That's heaven's armies on display. And the God you and I serve is the Lord of heaven's armies. Now tell me, what giant do you face that can stand in the face of the Lord of heaven's armies and all of his hosts? There is not one internal or external giant that does not have to bow. As we look over the next few weeks, next week at the giants in our life, we won't hit all of them, but we'll have quite a few of them. And then as we look at the individual ones, I want you to begin to look in your own life. Where have you been focusing? Have you been spending your time shaking in your boots, focusing on the giants in your life? Or have you been standing firm, praising the Lord of Heaven's armies and walking in the security that He is always in control? He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And you can trust Him. Just as David did in our passage today. David was focused on the Lord of Heaven's armies, what the Lord had done for him previously. He was focused on the reputation of the Lord of Heaven's armies, which he did not want to be tarnished if nobody would stand up against this tiny, nine-foot-tall giant from Gath. And then he's focused on what the Lord of Heaven's armies can do through him. 
Our weekly assignment is to spend at least five minutes each day this week meditating on and praising the Lord of Heaven's armies. Just try, just take some time and ask the Lord to open your heart and mind, just like Elisha prayed that the servant's eyes would be opened and he would see the Lord of Heaven's armies, that he would see that they were truly surrounded by Heaven's armies. I pray for you this very moment. Oh Lord, please open her eyes. Oh Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. your armies at your disposal to accomplish great and mighty task in and through us. I get a little excited about this and I'm not going to apologize to anybody for that. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I get to serve the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is always by my side. He does go before me. He does stand behind. I would love for you to send me some insights. You know, tell me how this podcast may have affected you. My email address is encouragingothersandlovingjesus at gmail.com. I also would love for you to send me some of the giants that you are facing. That would help me so much as I plan for future episodes. Because we're going to keep going with the giants until I feel the Lord's hand say, that's enough. Because I want us to compare as many as possible to the Lord of Heaven's armies. So that you and I are reminded that whether we're facing that giant now or that's a giant down the road, such as the giant of human death, that there is no giant, great or small, internal or external, that can stand against the Lord of Heaven's armies. And again, I quote the, quote the little chorus from whom shall I fear by Chris Tomlin? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. Aren't you thankful that is the case? Thank you for tuning in today. If you will look down in the show notes, you will see the link to our Facebook group. I would love for you to join us in there and help with encouraging others in loving Jesus. And as we end each and every broadcast, I ask you to remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day.